We have two wonderful scripture readings for today. The first from the gospel according to Luke in the 10th chapter. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest upon that person, but if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. May God add a blessing to the hearing and the understanding of God's holy word. This passage, I think, is so interesting because we often think about the 12, Jesus gathering the 12 together and giving them authority and power and then sending them out Do you also forget about the 70 sent out in pairs of two? But I love to imagine them going out with this new power and authority. And I like to imagine that maybe they hadn't taken all of this uh, learning in that the others had. Maybe they were less well prepared and they took on this enormous task going off to meet total strangers, expecting them to welcome them into their homes, going out without providing for themselves, just having faith that they would be received in. And then Jesus gives them this advice, which I really love, that even with all the power that they have, even though they can cast out demons, even though they can heal people, they may be rejected. And I love the advice that he gives them on how to shake that dust off your feet and move on. And I think spiritual well-being for this team that he is sending out is so important. He knows he's sending them out like sheep among the wolves, but he gives them this blessing that they can let it go. They won't be loved. They won't be welcomed by everybody. Have you seen anyone wearing that t-shirt, I'm not for everyone? Which automatically just makes peace with the fact that you're not going to be for everyone and you're just going to have to accept that and move on if people won't welcome the love and the healing that you can share with them. 
And then our second story is a continuation of the stories we've been reading about Elijah and Elisha. And this comes from the book of 2 Kings in the fifth chapter. And I hesitate to approach this as though we can turn the story into an Aesop's fable and to make it a nice, neat message. I think the best thing, one of the best things about scripture is that it comes to us in the form of story which means we interpret it, we live into it, we experience it first as story, and we don't have to jump right to some sort of, and what it really means is X, Y, and Z. So let's experience this odd and wonderful story together. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and high in favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram, So these are the bad guys. These are the enemies of the people Israel. These are people who are waging war on them. And this is a time of war, famine, pestilence, every horrible thing you can imagine. And then plunked in the middle of this story, all of a sudden we have a new main character. The general for the other side. The deputy to, when we were doing the children's sermon, the deputy to the evil villain, the sidekick to the bad guy. And now he, what, what is he doing suddenly as our main character? So this is the first thing to notice, is a point of view shift. So the man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. This means, of course, that he has to go into quarantine. Sound familiar? He's going to be cut off from his people. He, you know, this strikes down the, the strongest among us, and it's the great equalizer. Suddenly, even Naaman struck low. But he must have mattered a great deal to the king. So the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And here we see God working again in mysterious ways and through the last person you would expect, this young kidnapped slave girl. But she has the secret truth. She knows where healing is to be found. So they listened to her. The king of Aram said, go then and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. The commentaries note that in today's terms, this might be $1.2 million. A little excessive to go to take all of this wealth on a journey. And also, they miss the mark a little bit. The king sends him to the king, bypassing the prophet. He sends him to the king, but he goes off. He brought this letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my sermon, Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So he thinks this is all a trap or a trick or a test, which he knows he's going to fail. This is like some kind of Trojan horse to prove maybe that the king is actually weak, which is not what it is at all, right? But that's what he assumes it might be. So when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. 
So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a a message to him, a messenger to him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Now this is an insult, that he doesn't even come to speak to him directly. He just sends a servant and his household off to deliver this prescription and says, Just go wash in the Jordan seven times. That's That's all you need to know. He doesn't even come. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and would cure the leprosy. So he's angry that it didn't happen in this magical way that he thought. He was ready to be greeted with his $1.2 million, to be welcomed in by this incredible prophet, to have this magical show of a healing, and he's insulted. Are not Abana and Fapar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. So here he's very provincial too. He's thinking, I just came from the Connecticut River and you're telling me to go jump in Ash Creek? Why would I have come all this way just to jump in Ash Creek? It's muddy and dirty and my rivers back home are cleaner. So he's just thinking this is insult upon insult. So he turns and goes away in a rage. But his servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. But please accept a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will accept nothing. He urged him to accept, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. Here ends the reading. So I think, without making a moral of the story, I think making a message of the story or taking the story as an example, the very fact that we switch points of view, we go straight to the second baddest of the bad guys. Heidi, may I have water, please? Sorry, I do this to you all the time. (coughs) We go to the baddest bad guy and tell the story about him reminds us what psychologists would call perspective taking. I'm so glad that all stigma is gone from people seeking healing for mental health issues and that people will just say to you in passing, I'm on my way to talk to my therapist. I think we have a different sort of thinking now that everybody goes through times when they would benefit by talking to somebody who would give them professional help. And often when people get that professional help, they learn things that we see right here in these scriptures. I think there's capital T, truth, encoded in these scriptures. And so one is that shaking the dust off your feet, the moving on, letting something go if there's nothing you can do about it. And another here is in trying to take the perspective of someone, trying to humanize someone who you would have put in the category as other. That we begin this story with Naaman. Thank you so much, Heidi. 
I miss that big pulpit. There are like shelves down below where you can hide a cup of water. And I think we'll be back in there in the next month, God willing. So the other, they're real people, and we have to humanize them. We have to think outside of the confines of the ways that we think, and we can't demonize one another. And I think this is one of the really important messages for our time, is that when there is someone who we call other, they are still a beloved child of God, that God can still show up and work in their lives, that we don't actually control when and how God's blessing reaches people. But then most of all, and in a moment I'm turning this into a Bible study because there are not enough of us in this room for me to stand here and act like I have all of the answers when you have your own as well. So I'll be calling on you. Most of all. So we try to have empathy with people, which I think is a heart, the work of the heart. We try to understand with our heart how people are feeling, and we try to perspective take, try to think with our head about what other people are thinking. And I think this is really important work for faithful people. And then ultimately, I think we always need to hold out hope that we might be in a process of transformation, and that someone we have categorized as other, like Naaman, might be in a process of transformation. That God might have continuous work to do with all of us, and that our role as faithful people might be to hold out hope for that And I wonder where you might have seen this in your own life. I wonder where you are going through a process of transformation. And I wonder where you might need to temporarily shake the dust off your feet, off an impasse that you have with someone, but yet hold out hope that there might be transformation going on for them. A friend of mine was going to a funeral for someone today who he said had been incredibly racist when he met him and that in building relationships with one another this person had a complete change of heart and a dear friend of mine was raised by parents who I think must have had some understanding before he officially came out that he was gay and they said to him if we had a gay child we would disown him they said that to him and after he had come out to them They had such a drastic change of heart that they march with him in pride parades. These things happen in people's lives. Not always, but they do. Does anyone have a story? Does anyone know of someone who, instead of becoming more and more set in their ways, has a radical change of heart? Yes? Thank you, Emily. I knew someone would help me. It doesn't have to be. Well, what if God was working through you and your colleagues and in the ways you continued to show her compassion and care, you cast out the demon of her negativity and 
she had that change of heart through the good work that you did. So a lot of times I think this works because, exactly because, it's through that miracle that shows up as love. And patience sometimes, bearing with one another. And people do drastically change. Yeah. Anyone else? Well, I think of Naaman to continue humanizing him. I love this poem by Mary Oliver called Don't Hesitate. If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Give in to it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind, and much can never be redeemed. Still... Life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back that sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything. But very likely you notice in that instant when love begins. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. Joy is not meant to be a crumb. And I picture Naaman, this one who we should center our story on still, if we're going to humanize him. I imagine him plunging into cold water. I was trying to, my first job ever was teaching swim lessons. I really loved to swim. And a lot of people, when they're trying to teach children to swim, just try to teach them first to simply swim. Just this is how you move your arms, this is how you kick your legs. And if you teach a child to swim that way, they sink like a brick. Because they're so focused on taking a breath that they pick their head up out of the water, which forces the rest of them to go down and they go under. The best way to teach a child to swim is like dunking in the Jordan seven times. You teach them by bobbing. So I love this thought that plunge yourself into cold water and it becomes this meditative exercise if you bob. If you teach someone, you push your, you exhale under the water, inhale over the water, and become comfortable like that. That's how you can start to teach children to swim so that they feel confident and safe in the water. The exhale and the inhale, it's much more like practicing yoga or contemplative prayer than it is like starting to swim in a swimming race. So I imagine Naaman, this angry, bloodthirsty, arrogant person, insulted and in this horrible rage, plunging in the water of the Jordan, going down and exhaling, coming up and inhaling, under the waters of the river Jordan, exhaling and inhaling seven times. And I just have to imagine the kind of transformation that is wrought. And so for all of us, I don't know what it is that we need healing from in our own lives, but... It's a good day for a swim. If you're up for it, go jump in the sound and bob seven times. Breathe out under the water and release. Pop your face back up into the sunshine and breathe in and do that seven times. And you will feel refreshed and renewed. Praise God you don't have leprosy and you don't need to be cured from that. Praise God you are not war, warlords and generals about to wage an army. Praise God. 
But we all do need healing. And I promise you that if you go Bob seven times in very cold water, you will come up changed. And in these moments, hold out hope that there is change possible, not only for you, but for people you desperately disagree with, people you would want to argue with, people whose perspective it is so hard to take, and hold out hope that God is always working in us and in everyone else all around us. And by the grace of God, we will be able to come together and be better people on the other side of God's transformation in our lives. May it be so.